In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Human love, human beauty, are only the shadow and not the substance. They could not move our natures so deeply if they had not in them something of the divine, and yet so imperfect, so fugitive, so unsatisfying, they can only be shadows. This past week, while I was trying to find a way to focus my thoughts for today's homily, I ended up stumbling across this quote from Monsignor Ronald Knox, a favorite author author of mine. And his words really tie together our Lord's own words today in the Gospel regarding the commandment to love. Again, human love, human beauty are only the shadow and not the substance. When our Lord was being tested by the Pharisees and asked a seemingly impossible question, his response naturally seems to turn the inquiry on its head. The greatest commandment is not one of the Ten Commandments at all. And yet it binds the Ten Commandments together. And the greatest commandment is twofold. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, and with thy whole soul, and with thy whole mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These two lines, though found separately in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, are bound together here by the word of Christ, not because they were already recognized as belonging together, but because our Lord wishes to make a point, a point which he will later ratify in his supreme commandment to love one another as he gives to the apostles on the eve of Passover. Our Lord names these two separate commandments together because they are really one in the same. The love of God and the love of our neighbor is one undifferentiated love. They cannot be separated. It is in one and the same act that we express an authentic love of God and an authentic love for our neighbor. For human love, human beauty are only the shadow and not the substance. Man is incapable of true love without God. We are not meant to merely imitate God's love in our love for one another. We are commanded here to love one another with the love of God. Society, however, has its own understanding of love. Love is a term which, especially today, we hear thrown around quite a bit. People tell us that the church, for example, does not truly love all people because she does not accept their lifestyles or their life choices. But the world does not understand love because the world is not of God. Worldly love, societal love, is not divine, but is mere toleration. I would go so far to say that society has made toleration into a God. And that makes the collect of today's Mass all the more meaningful. We pray that our minds would follow God, the only God. In many ways, even the Church, for some period of time in our recent history, has emphasized a demand of fraternal love without boundaries. A love which is concerned purely for the other, apart from God. And we have been told that this sort of love seeks to see the equality of others, the equality of all Christian denominations, the equality of faiths, the equality of laws. But mere equality, mere toleration, is not of God. In this state, God no longer occupies the place that is due to him, and therefore man's own relations with one another degrades. When God's love is not the measuring stick of human's love, man's love becomes foolish, 
it becomes the love of a child who would willingly sacrifice a true God, a true good, for something meaningless. A society which, for example, does not permit the presence of God in daily life or in administrative decisions conceals the true source of love from its operations, and thus it weakens. It loses its focus. And man, who is made to know and to love God and love one another, is no longer capable of meeting his true purpose. His love is cheated, robbed of its only source. But Christian love is the essence of the church. She sees no division between the worship of God and her apostolic works, precisely because she knows that the two cannot be separated. They have the same root. The Second Vatican Council proclaims that the aim and object of apostolic works is that all who are made sons of God by faith and baptism should come together to praise God in the midst of his church, to take part in the sacrifice, and to eat the Lord's Supper. This is the vocation which St. Paul speaks today in his epistle. I, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called. He speaks of the unity of the church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Unity in the church is essential to fulfillment of the Lord's precept to love. And this can often be difficult, especially when we see legitimate reasons to have frustration in the church today, whether it be due to a misplaced theology amongst her members, or a seeming lack of respect for the fundamentals of the faith by some persons, or even a lack of true administrative care on the part of some bishops, especially in recent times. And while our Lord certainly has shown that it is possible to both love others and to condemn the evil they do, in all things we must have charity. Be worthy of the vocation in which you were called, proclaimed St. Paul, supporting one another in charity. Zeal for the Lord and for the Lord's spouse, the church, is an essential element to the Christian life. But true Christian zeal, the zeal of the Lord, must have the love of God at its center. And God's love applies tempered in his justice. God's love is merciful, always merciful, not to the extent of disregarding evil, but in the manner in which he applies his justice. In a church today, and even in civil society, there can be a tendency amongst those who truly love the church and hate to see her ravaged by such scandals or by the attacks of the world, there can be a tendency to respond to such attacks with unrighteous anger, with vile words, with gossip, and even with vengeful desires. Those who misplace their love of the Lord and their love of the church can be tempted, for example, to desire that something terrible would befall another person, say one of these bishops. In fact, in recent days, in light of the reality that some bishops have concealed the sins of priests and even of other bishops, you can see a response in some Catholics, which is more akin to the way the world would respond to such scandals. These Catholics are motivated by a love of the Church, yes, but a love that conceals love's true source, which is God. And so what sort of things do they say? They treat the Church as if it is founded on democratic ideas, like bishops are mere senators who have been caught with their tail between their legs and should now be drawn through the streets and mocked for all to see. They forget that the measure of our love for one another, the measure of our love for the church, is the love of God. And how does God love? God loves to the point of death, to the point of his own suffering. He is not foolish, 
He does not cast aside wickedness as if it has not occurred. And surely I certainly stand behind anyone who would call for the purification of the church today. But such a purification must only occur with the tenderness of Christian charity. And this is not easy. It certainly has not been easy for me, as a newly ordained priest, to see my promise of respect and obedience put to the test when faced with bishops who seem to not see the real issue, who are part of the problem, to see even what may appear to me to be a less than satisfactory response from the Holy See regarding these issues. But at the end of it all, the church is still God's spouse. He is not about to divorce this spouse. And so just as I would expect any married couple which faces extreme difficulties to apply all means to save the marriage, the church must now temper her own righteous anger with the love of God. And the foremost way we can do this is here, at the altar of God, here at Calvary, where the love of God was enfleshed and poured out for us to receive. Here, doubly amazed at the sins of some Christians and the abundant mercy of our Lord, our only proper response is to place this crisis upon his altar, to rend our hearts, to weep bitter tears of sorrow for the church, and to echo the words of Daniel, which serve today as the offertory for the Mass. Hear, O Lord, the prayers of thy servant. Show thy face upon thy sanctuary, and favorably look down upon this people, upon whom thy name is invoked, O God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.